What attributes identify them? What sets them apart? The definitive answer is, they are those who have artistic insights above the commonplace. You are listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. You know what, Rachel? You're right. We are listening. We're listening to that great podcast in the sky. And if love remains, I am your host, Mike Lovett, and I have the maestro of music, the king of keys, the prince of pianism, the posh of piano fortes. <laughs> I don't know. Mike, you're up with weird things now. <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> every every show is a different name. <laughs> These are good ones. It's great to be here. We're really, I'm really excited about our guest today. I am too. I am thrilled to have um, Professor Robert Hamilton. He is professor of music and, and piano in, at um, ASU. Um, he is a much respected uh, pianist and recording artist, and he's also um, author, co-author of the, of the book Artistry, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about. Really glad to have you on, Robert. Thanks for thanks for making some time for us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Well, I, first question, and and uh, uh, you know, usually I want to get kind of well. Let's start there. What? What? Let's talk a little bit like a origin story. You know, every superhero needs an origin story. Every artist needs an origin story. T- tell me a little bit about like how you, how did, how music fell upon you, and and how uh, you you decided to make this the the great vocation of your life. Well, I never made a conscious decision. My father um, was a, a, a very strong uh, semi-professional jazz clarinetist, and um, I get my most of my musical aptitude uh, through through that line. And uh, we were, we were, we, I, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, and, uh, my mother had always wanted to learn to play the piano. So she had one, uh, brought in from a family member and she was, uh, when I was, uh, about three years old, she was learning, uh, to play little, little things like tea for two. And I'm a little, or I'm a little teapot, whatever. And, right. uh, so apparently, uh, <clears throat> of course, I, I've heard, heard the story through my parents, but mm-hmm. apparently I <clears throat> listened enough to um, her practicing and stuff like that, that um, one morning before my parents got up, um, they heard the sounds of the piano downstairs and um, I was playing by ear. I picked up um, those tunes and I was playing them. So uh, of course my father was uh, was thrilled and and we had um, a lady uh, across the alley um, mm-hmm. who taught piano lessons which at the time were one dollar and mm-hmm. uh, so immediately when I was uh, three or maybe going on four um, well, I started with her Mrs Schmidt was her name and anyway <clears throat> that was. Quite a, a wonderful experience. I was with her until I was uh, 12 years old, and she just let me do anything I, I wanted to do. 
of course, that was not the best thing if, if um, you know, if I was going to want to be, a, you know, a major concert artist, I sh- at, you know, at that point, I should have been getting fundamentals. But in my mm. case, because I have enjoyed a mixed career of both teaching and playing uh, with with emphasis on both. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, also, um, uh, you know, I'm a family man. So I, I have four children and 10 grandchildren um, mm-hmm. and so on. So it was a good fit because I could just explore and, and, and do what I wanted on my own. I, um, I learned to love it more and more. It's always been my first language, I think. And so often she would just be in the in the kitchen preparing uh, dinner while I was at the lesson. So I wasn't really getting a whole lot from her. But she threw me uh, different things to play and ideas. And I ended up playing very difficult things with lots of pedal. Mm-hmm. But I was having fun. And mm-hmm. that's one side of the equation, I think, for children, young people. And the other side, of course, is getting the basic fundamentals, which uh, obviously is important. I got mine when I was 12 and uh, my my parents realized I needed to get some of that. So there was a wonderful teacher in town, uh, Margaret Harnish, uh, who liked to trace her heritage back to Beethoven. Uh, Of course, a lot of people do that through (laughs) Yeah. Legitimacy, List, Charity, and Beethoven. <clears throat> but anyway, she uh, she gave me uh, what I needed, and then I went on when I was eighteen to um, Indiana University, where I uh, studied mm-hmm. with Sidney Foster. And so, a lot of stories t- around that as well. But uh, that's anyway how I uh, I got my start. That. That's wonderful. And, and I can really relate to a lot of that, um, having a very, I guess, diverse career in, in teaching and playing both both classical and jazz music. I, I can relate to that that story a little bit. And and, uh, and it does make for a lot of joy in, in, in music. Um, it's, yes. it's been a lot of yes, fun for me. that's right. And I think that's so important. You know, I've, I've written this this book on artistry and what prompted, I, I actually, I co-authored it with, with my good friend and, and colleague, Robert Demery, um, uh, who's a wonderful, was a wonderful historian. But anyway, I, I, I got into that. Uh, my interest was because I was getting so many uh, wonderful students who had been um, restricted uh I think too much and uh, told to, you know, by the teacher to follow the score and, um, you know, whatever the markings are, forte or allegro, you know, fast, slow, uh, loud, soft, all these things without understanding that there's so much experimentation that's needed. I mean, what in the world is loud? What is fast? And these things are things that have to be adjusted. They're going to be different from one piece to the next, even from one part of a piece to the next. And 
So, you know, just getting simple demands from the teacher, do this, do that, the the child, you know, begins to see music as as right there on a piece of paper on the score and not something that they have to first uh, imagine, uh, visualize, uh, enjoy, and, and so on. So that's what really interested me. And uh, it was my colleague's idea. Uh, so some 10 years ago, we've, we've been working on this thing for a long time. And um, he, he thought that, that this was something uh, unique in the sense that the vision was uh, that I would prepare uh, audio examples to demonstrate what we were talking about. Uh, little excerpts and so on, which um, are included um, on my website, and uh, uh, people who are reading the book uh, can can go there and hear the examples, and um, or you can just go to it even without having the book and and go from there. But <clears throat> that I think is uh, is very useful, helpful. It's the kind of thing that we would do in a lesson, you know, to, to, to sort of demonstrate. Uh, once in a while for the student, and but that's another topic. I I don't believe mm -hmm. in over demonstrating because uh, before you know it, um, you demonstrate something to correct uh, an issue for the student, and if you do too much of that, the student hears other things besides the correction, and mm -hmm. without uh, being aware of it, starts copying uh, the teacher, and that's another issue. Uh, we cover in the book that um, you know copying uh, a teacher or or you know professionals and so on is not the best uh, route. It's a quick route to playing well, but it it kind of avoids the heart of things, which is to find your own uh, individual reaction and response mm -hmm. to music and put it out there, uh, not doing a copy of somebody else, which is never going to be uh, as good as your own and certainly not as good as the original by whoever you're copying. So um, anyway. What, so, so let, let me ask uh, one other thing. What, what is, um, I mean, let's kind of get to the heart of the matter. What is artistry? What, I mean, how would you define that? Let me just read what, uh, to be a little more uh, precise, uh, we talk about, at the very beginning about artists and uh, uh, why are the fine, very finest performing musicians commonly called artists after all? What attributes identify them? What sets them apart? The definitive answer is they are those who have artistic insights above the commonplace. We suggest that such artistic insights above the commonplace cannot be identified as deft replicas of a composer's unique intention, but that performers should be coolly encouraged to interpret or supplement the score. So that gets into uh, interpretation and what I'm, what I'm talking about. I think the path to artistry is, is responding yourself to the music. And uh, that's, the only way you're going to find your own artistry uh, is is through your own responses, uh, which 
you need to be encouraged to do, but not um, end up copying uh, that sort of thing. But, you know, it's a complex definition, I'm sure. And of course, uh, in pop music, uh, they always refer to excellent singers and so on as artists. And um, uh, so it's, um, and, and, you know, artists, artistry goes into uh, even uh, um, carpentry and a lot of things like that. So I had a question actually, or maybe something we can sort of delve into. And that's about, uh, you mentioned sort of interpreting something or adding something to the score. And we've talked a little bit, or at least touched on this a bit, Mike and I, and it's maybe difficult to pinpoint something. And we've talked about different eras of music and composers that have indicated more or less on the score. But how would you even teach a student or talk to a student about or encourage a student to have his or her own view of the score or interpretation? I mean, where where do you kind of draw the line between uh, well, what you're doing is individual, but it's not really in the spirit of the composer or the style or this particular genre or piece. And yeah. where do you draw the line between that and, oh, well, you know, you have kind of carte blanche to do uh, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's <clears throat> that's a, an important, very important facet. And in the in the book, we, we, we get into that a lot at various points. Of course, the... The purpose of the book, as I said a minute ago, uh, was mainly to help those uh, who were, you know, under the the impression that what they needed to do was simply follow the score, and that's uh, very limited because uh, the score has to be interpreted. As I was. Uh, mentioning, you know, what is loud, what is fast, but yet uh, students naively mm-hmm. think that, oh, I'm supposed to play loud here. Oh, okay. So off they go and uh, not not listening and thinking how, how much is loud and so on. But then on the other side of the coin is, is this matter that you, you can't just run off completely on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a composer there, and um, of course I I would say at the beginning that the composer this may sound a little harsh but doesn't necessarily own the piece either. Um, you know mm-hmm. I'm a big believer that music comes through us to us, mm-hmm. and that includes the the composer who you know it it comes it comes to the composer and. <clears throat> Composer does the best uh, that he or she can do, hopefully, in um, not only putting the notes down on the page, but also uh, ideas of how how to to perform it. But if if you know, so it's a balance. If if mm-hmm. we go off on our own and and just create our own piece without the composer's uh, input and, you know, the result is likely not to be uh, nearly as, as strong. It's, you know, it's actually, it's a three, uh, three pod here. It's, it's also the, the listeners, the audience. So, you know, creating good music in, includes all of those, but um, <clears throat> um, 
Yeah, I think we've, we've talked about that too. Very important to study the the period uh, in which the composer lived, to study the composer's uh, other works for piano, other other works in uh, symphonies, and, and and so on. To go on and 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 study other composers of the period and. Uh, listening to them and, and and all as well as uh, everything you know related to that particular period I'm not mm-hmm. one who I respect an opposite viewpoint which I've argued with colleagues and I remember being on several panel discussions with uh, other pianists um, uh, and uh, you know discussing this topic of whether how you know how we should perform should we say <clears throat> mainly we are you know 21st century people and we should play and we have a, a piano that's perhaps different from the way it was when the music was written mm-hmm. and should we not just uh, when we're playing Haydn for instance just play um, as as it comes to us without any attempt to uh, to play it as it uh, or close to as it would have sounded in in the period and um sure, yeah. i think we sort of line up on opposite sides on that particularly for earlier uh, music uh, some just uh, just go for it and you know don't try to to temper the sound or the um freedoms and so on to the period, but just, you know, just play. Mm-hmm. I I feel the opposite. I feel that the music is so much stronger if we create it uh, in a way that, that matches as much as possible the period. I, you know, when I hear a, you know, classical symphony played, uh, I, I always cherish when, the conductor has cut the, the, the numbers down, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not a hundred, but maybe 30 or, or whatever, mm-hmm. which is more typical of, of the period and particularly observing the, the articulation, the little, um, the small, uh, units, which, mm-hmm. uh, I think whether it's a symphony or, or a sonata, I think is so helpful. And when I listen to a performance of classical period music, which observes these things, uh, it all adds up, and suddenly I, f- I feel like it's it's real, it's true. It's I'm getting a a wonderful picture of of not only uh, the the music itself, but uh, you know the period, the people even of of the time. So I think that's very important to study as much as, as we can, these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I'm not um, well, well, not saying that people who are opposite, I'm not saying that they, they're the ones who go off on their own. I, that's not at all true. And they, they certainly <clears throat> have their own uh, way of, uh, of, you know, uh, observing and respecting uh, the period. It's just that, uh, that they have this, this added, aspect that this is uh, now and we need to to do things in a way that appeals more to um, modern audiences and so on 
So, uh, you know, it's, it's just a question of which side you're on. Can I, and, and, and I'm not wanting to, to push back at all, but, but it seems to me like both camps in a way, and I'm also not trying to split the baby, <laughs> but, but, but it seems like both camps are, there's value to them in the sense that, that, you know, one, of, I think one of the roles of, of a performer is to either uh, reinforce what the 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 composer kind of look like what you're talking about like like you reinforce the setting the the setting you know you know trying to play it as authentically as that is and the, but the other role could possibly be to subvert you know and and that in some ways that subversion can you know create something new and exciting and i don't think um I, I think I, it seems to me like the, the important thing is intentionality. In other words, if you're just doing it because you're feeling it, that that doesn't yeah. seem like a, a, a right way to, to to process it. But but if if you have a if you have if you if you have a historical background, if you know what's going on, and you are intentionally subverting it for a specific reason, okay, now we can talk. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, uh, I think we don't want to to play uh, the modern piano in a way that we're restricting the sound, for instance, and, and trying to uh, you know get a sound that almost sounds like we put a blanket over it or something. That's uh, certainly excessive. But I guess I, I would put it this way. Uh, if I'm playing a program and it ranges from Haydn, Mozart, uh, maybe ne next step is Beethoven, and then through the Romantic period all the way up to, you know, something very contemporary. We have a wonderful instrument with the piano, and I think it's much more interesting, uh, much more uh, entertaining if if I if I show, you know, certain um, ways and levels through uh, the wonderful piano, instead of just more or less, uh, you know, playing, uh, not ignoring the styles, but uh, overriding right. them and uh, so on. And that's, that's where I leave the, leave the train. I, I just think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's much better for the music itself you know, uh, Mozart and Haydn, the texture is is, is so clear and, and um, innocent and um, what's the word? Um, it's it's not so uh, rich with big chords and and so on. So uh, mm. let's say the simplicity of of it. And to take a, a melody and just say, well, this is a beautiful melody. Um, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Chopin, Beethoven, um, Mozart, Haydn. I'm just going to going to play it, and uh, I would rather uh, have um, an objective, a separate one for each one, uh, recognizing what I know about that composer. Uh, the, the music and, and so on. But, uh, you know, I, I don't enjoy listening to someone playing uh, um, uh, Haydn or Mozart sonata, even like Beethoven. 
you know, in other words, uh, you know, here's a loud place, and so I'm just going to play it. I think there's a, a difference between uh, them and, mm-hmm. you know, Beethoven was, um, you know, still basically a classicist, but he was he was moving moving on, pointing to a new direction. His his texture is much uh, much richer, much thicker, and I, I think the sounds should be, you know, along those lines. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. uh, one of the Mozart sonatas I recorded uh, on um, a Mozart recording I've done uh, was the C minor sonata uh one of his uh, latest and playing that you know it's it's it, it has a little bit more uh, more texture and it's it's so easy to um just just play it without thinking <laughs> about it's not it's not quite beethoven yet and so when I recorded it, I was I was aware of that. It's I was not restricting myself. That's certainly counterproductive. I mean, Mozart and Haydn were you know healthy uh, men, and you know to 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 make it sound like little pipsqueak stuff. That's mm-hmm. that's far from from what this is. It, you but it's it's challenging to to do that especially when you're splitting between uh mozart and haydn and beethoven that's a that's a rather small uh difference and and yet i think it's uh it's really critical um so that's what i i I believe i think and i will say like like in all of these genres and styles and and composers there there is so much room for artistic interpretation i uh, elias and i just just did a episode our last episode in fact was was comparing different you know of, of a uh, different performances of a of a uh, you know scarlatti sonata for example and just oh, how yes, different yes yeah. and what you find i'm sorry and what what did you discover you were comparing uh recordings for instance, of the same yeah. one, did you do that sort of thing? Yeah, we did. And it was it was really for me. It was very fascinating because I mean they were played so differently, and uh, and yet you could hear different aspects of the piece, and 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 it really like like you know one was was very you know very fast and very exciting, and the other one was which was much more contemplative. And you can hear the different voicing. It was almost like a, a fugue or invention. The way it's, it was just—it was very, very interesting. Yes, yeah, it's it is. Uh, I just uh, just yesterday uh, uh, I, I had a defense for uh, one of my doctoral students who did her project on uh, Chopin nocturnes. She took two nocturnes, one early and one late. And in addition to um, descriptive analysis, uh, she she compared the recordings of Rubinstein and Ashkenazi of each of those um, nocturnes. And I think it was very fascinating to her and, uh, and, and to us on her committee as well, uh, the observations, the, 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 the great differences between the, the two approaches um, Ashkenazi was uh, 
was making much more of individual phrases and the possibilities of, uh, you know, emotionally and so on of each one, whereas Rubinstein uh, was more laid back and, and going for the, for the long uh, range. So his, um, his playing was, was smoother, not so much up and down. And that's an interesting facet of music. You know, you, it's very difficult to do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think it's dangerous, too. I've, I've struggled with that mm-hmm. through my own career, um, with, especially with someone like Brahms, which, which can, uh, you know, uh, can, can be very lyrical, very light, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> just uh, you know beautiful lines and so on or it can dig in and and be very uh, thick and and rhythmic and so on so uh, i'm the kind of musician that uh, which is an advantage for teaching when i look at a piece of music i see a rainbow i don't see uh one way i have colleagues that look at a piece of music and and know immediately how uh they want it to go. Mm-hmm. And I, my struggle has always been to try to limit myself to decide I'm going to do this way or I'm going to do that way. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, that's... Uh, <laughs> I think to get back to the whole artistry issue too, part yes. of it and what you talked on is the the sort of struggle maybe that you have, but I think that's a fascinating part of music uh, and it gives us a lot of opportunity when we're when we're learning a piece or studying a piece or even bringing back a piece just discovering new things for ourselves i know when i've played pieces now that i might have played in my 20s or 30s and i see them differently um either because of my life experience or my uh i've heard it you know so many different ways in the the intervening years but uh, kind of developing those ideas and and like you said experimenting with them trying something new it's it's actually i well, think the, the most fun part of being a pianist yes. well and and going back to the book and and artistry and so on the composers as well mm-hmm. changed their minds had different ways sure. we you know one of the things uh, we talk about in the book a lot is how how different chopin was every time he he played, and that this comes from reports of people who heard him. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, at one one point, he even did an encore uh, uh, mazurka, and uh, then came out and did the same mazurka, but played it so differently that people didn't realize until he was nearly through that this was the same mazurka. I mean, that's. That's incredible yeah. when you think back like that. Or more modern times, uh, there's the the uh, event with uh, Byron Janis, who who was um, doing an important uh, performance of Aaron Copland's uh, Sonata, and mm-hmm. he, he he came uh, to to run through it with him. And uh, as he was entering, he heard uh, Copland, uh, as he said, tinkering with. Um, with a certain uh, area, and he said, uh, "Mr. Copeland, uh, you've written uh, piano here, and and I hear you, you know, playing playing forte." And mm-hmm. he laughed. He said, "Oh, but that was ten years ago." Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. 
I mean, if if music is, you know, is real, it and and, and uh, deep and and really of high quality, it ought to be able to be tweaked in so many different directions, and it doesn't. That doesn't and still uh, hold up. Why that you you're losing the 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 image of the piece it's just you you observe it from this side and and i observe it from that side and someone else something else that's what's so fascinating uh, about the performed arts is mm-hmm. that there's so many different ways uh, it can go it's not like frozen art uh, the great paintings or architecture or sculptures you know they're always just of one way and we love it uh, for that reason but uh, theater and, and music and so on um, is fascinating uh, because of uh, of all their sort of possibilities. Yeah, they're sort of living arts, and we've talked about the static versus the the movement in something like music. And you mentioned before the idea that the listener is such an important component, and we've <clears throat> talked about oh, that yeah. sort of tr- trinity of composer, performer, um, listener. And I, I I think one of our podcasts we brought up John Cage and his attempt to get rid of the, the composer aspect, which I, I'm not sure he was entirely successful at doing. But I, I think the ears of like an 18th century or 19th century uh, audience member uh, would have been very different listening to like a Chopin mazurka or a Beethoven sonata than, than we would today in a huge concert hall with a modern instrument. And so I'm sure when you perform, and I, I know you've talked to your students about this too, is you kind of have to take that in stride and into consideration when preparing a work uh, in our modern day that, okay, you know, we're we're not playing it for an 18th century or 19th century audience, Mm -hmm. yet we still have to try to grapple with some of the same challenges and bring forth some of the same ideas in music. Yeah. So in fact, if you try to put if you try to play it like in 18th century, that that would in a way be subverting the audience in a way. <laughs> it could, it could, yeah, it could. I don't. This mm-hmm. is. I mean, I think what's great is we can always have these discussions and and uh-huh. disagree and agree and just kind of come back to them. I I'm sure you are familiar with uh, what was it the the feud or whatever between Wanda Landowska and oh no okay. I can't Turek. and Turek yeah with yeah. Bach you know you you play it your way I oh, play yeah. it his way. But I think yeah, that's just that going to be a perennial discussion amongst musicians. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, I and we all have are in our camps and so on. I've expressed how I feel, and um, I, you know, I'm I'm sensing that that you two feel a little differently. Which, uh, as I said, I I totally respect. It's, oh, not it's necessarily. Just, actually, no. I, I'm with. I'm with you. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, I probably, and I yeah. probably lean your way. I just, I, 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 because of my background, I, I really, you know, I'm a jazz player. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> see. I, I use that my for my excuse for everything. <laughs> it's, it's just the the point of. You know, we're playing for 21st century audience. And so I don't think that it strengthens the performance to try to tweak it in a way that that they we think they might enjoy better or something. Rather, I think it's 
it's fascinating and beautiful to bring to them as much as as I can the mm-hmm. the style of that period uh, you know so that there is a real distinction between periods and the it's a tricky thing because when you're playing earlier music again uh, you, you mustn't water it down and you know just uh, try to make the piano sound like a forte piano, an early instrument, that's, that's terrible. So, but mm. to, to get, yeah. you know, to get in that groove and somehow I, that's what I feel is our responsibility so that um, well, they, the, the modern audience gets to see uh, the, the fascination of, of what it was like, even though it's on a modern instrument in a larger hall and so on. I think it's a lot like like literature or even scripture in a way where it's like why why so many people want to take away the strangeness of you know the the setting of the literature or scripture and and, and instead like maybe we ought to embrace it and and try to put people into like like let's put people into the whale's mouth let's put people into Narnia let's put people into um, these spaces and and then then we can have a whole new experience and, and relate that to our life when when we leave it you know what i mean yes yes i i agree with you um yeah that actually dovetails i think perfectly to one of the i i enjoyed some of the some of the principles that you mentioned in the introduction of your book and and one of them was that artistry is is much more about expressing the thoughts behind the sounds mm-hmm. as to the sounds themselves and and maybe expand on that a little bit and 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 i think it's in that same place that you talk about music as a language and if it is a language yeah. then, then we need to understand you know so so expand on that concept well it's not it's not either or i mean it's it's sound of course but it's it, it's not just that some people some musicians uh, some players are just so fascinated with sound itself that they play with sounds and uh, the result can be very, very beautiful, but it's a little bit like, uh, like wallpaper. I think it's so important to have something uh, that you're trying to express uh, behind the sounds or within the sounds. And music is, is a language every much every every bit as much as as our spoken languages are and there are lots of similarities and so on but it it is um it it is all about people composers and and performers um you know expressing sharing ideas and if if you don't do that if you leave it out even if it's very very beautiful and colorful it just doesn't doesn't mean uh nearly as much and right it becomes an awful lot of performance uh, performances now uh, you know on radio or you know youtube or whatever which are very very skilled and and so on but if i if i don't feel like it's like it's saying anything mm-hmm. uh i you know i, I i'm to the point where i kind of turn it turn it off <laughs> i'm interested mm-hmm. 
in uh, in in the language aspect of, of music very much. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say I, I 100% agree. I think I think music without language becomes elevator music, and and you have to. You really, I, I really appreciate what you said there. It, it's got to express something, and and there's a Absolutely. there's a concept. Uh, oh, I can't remember who I had on. It's going to kill me. But um, we were talking about C.S. Lewis, and he talked about the idea of of why do we long for great art? You know, why why do we ache for it? And it's because it's you know, and C.S. Lewis's view was that it was because pointing to something greater. But I think it's that same aspect of like we should want we should hear music and, and long for what is even though we can't even put it into words. In fact, the fact we can't put it into words means we have to put it into music. And and that's, that's just right. an, a really important thing to, to right. keep in mind. Yeah, we can you know, there are crossovers that we, we, we can learn, th- you know, phrases and sentences and, you know, all sorts of, of things that we can pay attention to and should. Uh, and and it, sometimes it helps very much. Uh, I, I recommend it to some students who are having trouble getting any any thought behind what they're doing. You can, uh, of course, assign words to a melody. It doesn't have; they don't have to be profound. They can be silly. Uh, and I think we've all heard little, you know, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little uh, lyrics that, that people put to, you know. I can't remember one. One has mayonnaise in it and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it can it can be a a path for some people if if they if they have trouble doing this um, to mm-hmm. to add words can get get them started at least um, yeah. so so that they you know they start thinking about or even uh, yeah what. Yeah, or even add a storyline. I mean, I'm sure you've spoken with That's students. Right. You know, if you, if you have a piece, or, then or yeah, a scene, create something uh, expressing right. a scene. Right. You know, WC, for instance, mm-hmm. almost everything he wrote, uh, you can very easily uh, have a, a picture of, of something in nature or whatever. And uh, but I I I'm very. I'm one who's very much in tune with whether that's there or not there. And if it's not there, as I say, I, I tend to want to turn it off now because I don't, I don't want to, to be involved um, listening to, to music, which has no, no heart or soul. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's just not, <laughs> not complete. By the way, I, I so appreciate that. The fact that, 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 that you are sensitive enough to say, I don't want that in my whole life. Like that diminishes me as a person, <laughs> Yeah, you know, because it right. does, it does. Well, you know? I'm not going to say I'm perfect. And especially in my younger years, uh, I'm sorry to say, I, I, I probably was guilty of that myself of, you know, you you have all sorts of technical issues, and 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 you want you're competing with other people, and so on. Uh, but I do cherish very much a review I got when I was doing my uh, my audition, my my uh, my uh, debuts in a lot of musical capitals in Europe, and uh, particularly one uh, review in Amsterdam. The, the critic said, I can't remember the exact words, but um, 
uh, we, you know, we like Mr. Hamilton because, especially because he does not join in the games for for speed and loudness with with his uh, with his many colleagues, but you know, goes to the meaning of the music and so on. That kind of thing always has um, has been important to me. But um, of course, we we you know we all succumb sometimes to uh, be, being human and and I, I'm afraid that's what goes on with with too many uh, you know uh, famous professionals and and it's you know it's difficult you you want to, to be you know establish yourself as some uh, something unique and well singers uh, have their own individual voices <clears throat> and um, you know, you you immediately know that's uh, Schwarzkopf or that's you know Beerling or, so, or something. Uh, we all play the same piano, more or less, and mm-hmm. it's interesting that though that the pianists uh, back in the what we often call the golden age of piano, which would be pre nineteen fifty, they kind of prided themselves in having uh, a specific sound. Uh, which they could uh, create, and I remember, you know, listening to some of them, and and you could immediately tell. Uh, I mean, Gisa King was one, for instance, and Bachhaus and Schnabel. You know, that was uh, that was that was interesting, but it is very difficult, nonetheless. And I think in in today's era, I think there's very little interest in sound. And, uh, you know, pl- players to, on the piano just seem to bypass that. And, uh, you know, they're looking at other things, uh, not always, unfortunately, uh, meaning in the language aspects. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I think we need to kind of get back to some of that that meaning. I'll, I'll yeah. say from my personal uh, experience or whatever, I, I tend to <clears throat> have a lot of feeling or a t- attachment to just the sound or the sonic experience of a piece. And we we're just to backtrack a little bit about the story or a, an image or something that can be useful in creating some sort of imagination or whatever. Uh, I sometimes mm-hmm. do that in my teaching, of course, but I remember a friend of mine, we were playing a same piece, Brahms first concerto and and uh, I just, I love it for what it is. It's probably my favorite concerto. And uh, she somehow, maybe she wasn't inspired by it, or I, I'm not sure, but came up with a story that that followed the um, Tolkien ring cycle. And, oh. uh, you know, had a character assigned to each theme and all this. And I, I heard the story and I said, okay, well, I, I can sort of see how you can ascribe those those people to those melodies. But in, in the end, I, I didn't need that. I kind of just wanted well, the purity. I- of the music that was enough for me, you know, but uh, yeah. maybe for others, they needed to have some other association with it. To, to, yeah. Anyway, well, I, and I think it's, it's a, that's a personal thing, which uh, I think it's better not expressed because, mm-hmm. you know, the beauty is you, you have an idea like that and that makes your music very meaningful. And, and then you have 10 people listening and, uh, and let them each have, individual images rather than to try to impose your own 
I remember one time as an experiment, I, I, I took some Debussy preludes, uh, which have their, their titles, and I played it for some, some friends, some people who uh, were not necessarily uh, musicians. And I asked them um, at the end with uh, each one to, uh, to let me know what they thought it was about. And um, they, they all generally got the idea. But to be specific, I mean, you know, uh, one is maybe falling, falling autumn leaves, you know, right. and somebody would say falling water or blah, blah, right. blah. And I, I, I think it's, I, I decided at that point it would, it's better not to share. It's sort of a personal thing anyway, your own ideas and, and feelings and thoughts when, um, when you're, you're about a piece. But it's critical to have them. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. So this young lady you're talking about had something, and even though it didn't, uh, at all, maybe match up with with yours. Um, it probably was helpful in in, mm-hmm. in her doing something besides just, just playing uh, the notes, playing yeah. through the thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it gave her meaning to her. And I, that experiment you explained, I've done sort of similar, and it's it's fascinating to see the divergence, but also the convergence of ideas. Uh, yeah, uh, based on There's the same thing that we hear. aspect to that. Concerto, don't you think? Uh, I'm sorry, what? uh, uh, Sort of a gypsy? A little bit, yeah. yeah. Or W.C. Fields would say gypsy. (laughs) Uh I don't know, especially the the last uh, movement, you know, it's... uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. Very rhythmic. Like you said about Brahms, it can be lyrical and beautiful, but it can be very rhythmic and powerful and and jagged almost, and yeah. Yes, yeah, there are different uh, different ways you can look at it. I think also of Bartok, you know, the sure. champions of Bartok were two of his yeah. major students, uh, and um, uh, Yorgi Shandor and mm-hmm. uh, Shebak. Yorgi Shebak uh-huh. were, t- I think, two of his um, of his best Amazing. students. And the way they they play Bartok is totally different. Yeah, yeah. Shebak goes more for the line and the, the, the even gracefulness of it. Uh, Shandor is, you know, is very, well, almost like Gypsy, you know, very just uh, uh, straight out and, and uh, strong rhythms and, and so on. And so like Brahms, I think Bartok is one of those uh, interesting composers that can you can succeed so much in uh, very opposite uh, opposite ways. Yeah, um, I think that makes him a great 20th century. I know you've recorded or performed uh, all of Bra- uh, Bartok's music. I'm I'm pretty well, sure. Not uh, I, I know I. Okay, <laughs> I, I remember hearing you. <laughs> okay. Well, I heard a recital you played a few years ago, which was an enormous program of all Bartok and it was pretty fascinating just the the breadth of the compositions but also I think what you kind of uh what mm-hmm. you did with each piece uh e- even within the same composer as you said there can be such a variety of, of ways variety. to interpret and you know you were doing the suite uh, I think you did opus 14 I know you did the sonata yes. yeah, did um, and there's uh-huh. such different pieces 
and you know your interpretation and the touch and the this sound and it's just so many aspects i think you tried to you tried to yes. say, cater them well, to the individual piece it's um it, it, uh, my later performances, I, I, I might turn the conversation just a little bit uh, here. Sure, sure. I, I, I have not been at my, my best um, for, for some time. Uh, I was a little disappointed in, in it. And what I'm getting at is uh, careers and how you mm-hmm. sort of blend, um, let's say, teaching with performing. Mm-hmm. In my case, um, I, I've been uh, teaching at universities for, I think I counted uh, 56 years. Wow. And um, up until uh, somewhere in the 90s, uh, following the Cultural Revolution in China, uh, up until then, I had certainly my share of outstanding students. Mm-hmm. But it was it was always kind of a, a smaller number, and then I had a lot of ordinary ones. Uh, after the Cultural Revolution, uh, we started in the, in the country to to um, attract lots of, of of wonderful talents from China, as well as of course Korea and and so on. And right. uh, there came. Uh, a time up until I would say somewhere in the nineties, I, I really, you know, thought of myself a little bit more still as, as a performer. And I hopefully did uh, still good teaching, but my, you know, my focus was more on my performing career. And then mm-hmm. as I say, somewhere in the nineties, I started getting, more of these exceptional students and at one point i i had as many as 28 or 29 of them and the energy that it took i i didn't feel like i could do any less than than my you know level best with with uh, with these these young young people so i sort of uh, got away from uh, my regular uh, practice routine and so I, I think, uh, you know, uh, going into the new century, uh, since then, I've, um, I, I've not really had time to prepare. I, you know, I can be, be good at short, you know, 20-minute segments. But anyhow, so as you may know, I am um, leaving the, the university um, setting now. I'm retiring from uh, ASU um, as of this, this spring and congratulations yeah what a tenure yeah so my purpose and my what i want to do now is turn back to what i was doing i have uh, recording projects i want to do i haven't even thought of all of them yet but i am so eager to to get back to another facet of of my work which which is performing and fortunately, I, I'm blessed with, uh, you know, I don't have arthritis problems like mm-hmm. some people do. I, you know, there's, I have no excuse to, to not <laughs> go ahead and, and, uh, and get back to, uh, to that. 
So that's great news to hear. I'm looking, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to that, but I, I had to mention that that um, you know you uh, you didn't you did not hear me at my finest. Well, I've heard your recordings too, Robert. So I, those are made. Well, you know, those, I, you know, even though those were done, uh, the ones that are out there now were even though they were done after 2000. You know, I. It, it's just uh, I, I could get up for those and get myself mm. to you know back to a high point, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's challenging. So that's sure, that's sure. a whole different discussion. But it's uh, yeah. it, it is really interesting this whole matter of balancing a career uh, between teaching and and actual performing yourself. I remember in my house, you know, the Prince, what's he call it? The art of piano playing or something uh, by mm-hmm. the, the great pedagogue in Russia, uh, Heinrich Neuhaus. Mm-hmm. You may or may not know that book, but he has a section in there where he talks about this problem and how different uh, pianists solve it uh, in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. But the problem of, of wearing two hats, of, sure. you know, having uh, the time and energy to to really do great things yourself, and then also to do great things for your students uh, through them, so that so you know they're well trained. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. juggling that is is a real thing. But I would say in in my career from 67, 1967 when I started. Up until some of the '90s, as I said, I, I was I was first and foremost a, a performer, and since then it's been teacher, and uh, I've enjoyed uh, very much both both sides of that. Uh, it's well, I've I've been lucky to hear you play a couple times, and it's I'm always impressed. Just well, your, your form and can. Well, I, I can't can't wait. But I also know the legacy you're leaving as as a teacher. And, and disclaimer here is uh, my wife studied with you and and uh, yes, you know, for oh, her doctorate and my, just one of my finest. Yeah, I, yeah, and just loved. And actually, uh, another disclaimer: I've I've sort of played for you too. I mean, you've given me. Yes. you coached us when we did the Rachmaninoff second and, suite. And I'm so, I'm going to continue to be uh, available. To that's one thing I'm looking forward to too. I'm not going to stop teaching or coaching or listening to um, students, former students who are not only around the Valley, but other, other places, if they, mm-hmm. if they, they wish, I'm just looking forward to not having that grueling uh, Hello, daily yeah. schedule <laughs> yeah. and where I can uh, get back to uh, practicing. For me, optimum amount of practice is three hours a day. For some people, that's only a start. <laughs> they want to go longer. <laughs> but my, uh, my teacher, um, first, uh, you know, really a good teacher was that Sidney Foster, who was the first winner of the Leventritt Award and, and quite famous uh, at the time um, I studied with him. He actually forbade his students uh, from practicing more than three hours a day. And if he had any hunch or, you know, feedback that you were, he, he'd call you in and say, no. And mm. his, his reasoning was uh, not only that, that you need to keep things fresh, but um, you need to focus and concentrate when you're practicing. And he did not believe most most of us can really concentrate mm. and focus more than three hours in a day. 
a lot of it's going to be on a weaker level of focus. And of course, that's what performing is all about. If you know, if you're easily distracted, you know, it's you you can't be a real effective performer. So yeah. anyhow, that. Okay. Yes, that's interesting. Very interesting. Well, you've carried on uh, a lot of his great tradition. Not only winning, I think you won the Levin Trit as well, didn't you? No, After- I didn't. I didn't win that one. No. I, what, uh, what did I've, you? I've you won a my, big competition. A number. Yeah. Actually. Well, I even in the Tchaikovsky, uh, I was a finalist there. Uh, in, in you're too modest, uh, Robert. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I was um, I won the. Manobodeo, Uruguay, uh, the, uh, yes. uh, oh gosh, uh, Bazzoni, uh, and, uh, okay. and Naples, uh, another one, and so on. I, I, I had good luck in competitions enough that uh, there was actually a little article in the New York Times uh, about me and my, you know, comp- competition activities. Wow. Not as not as big as, as someone like Malcolm Frager, who um, uh, who was at the same time he had won the oh, uh, they call it the top three and so on. But um, anyway, I I uh, at that time uh, you know I'd, uh, I'd I'd made a my mark that way, uh, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous now because um, <laughs> there are so many competitions now. Things, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a different world. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a risk too. Competitions is another interesting topic. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. we should have fun to talk about sometime. Yeah. Yes, Gorski, the you know the great cello pedagogue, who would not allow his students to go in because he he was afraid it would damage them. Oh. Yu Jia Wong, uh, you may know, uh, you know she she studied with Gary Grafman and mm-hmm. and he didn't think she should do it, and so. If I'm not mistaken, um, she she built her career almost uh, you know exclusively through making these wonderful uh, re- you know recordings on YouTube, and people started hearing how wonderful she was, and off off she went. So um, I'm not well, you know I'm, the other thing, yeah, a whole yeah. new medium of, of of you know getting your name out there now that's, that's yeah. fascinating, and and I'm wondering how. You know the res- you know how the respect level how 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 that that how someone can build a career that way it's that it's just a whole brand new thing it's exciting to me uh-huh. you you mean through the internet and so on yeah through the internet oh. like, like be, be be becoming a self promoter like getting your name out there in such a way that that really wasn't available twenty years ago yes. that, that oh, you have to mm-hmm. competition series or you know yeah. I think that's really exciting there are a lot of things uh, you know we like to grumble about uh, about some way, ways and directions things are going but there's there's so much uh, positive as well and uh, I think that's that's a really exciting thing another positive is is the absence of the 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 iron grip of the critics the music critics uh, sure you know when i was starting my career uh, it was the, the critics either could make or break a career uh because everybody was waiting for those reviews to come out and you know some critics were 
really worth their salt. And then there were others who were mainly just writers. And unfortunately, they're sort of bean counters. Uh, they, their, their grip on things started somewhere around the mid-century, 1950 or a little after. And, you know, so many of them were not real deep musicians, but they could tell if if, if you made some wrong notes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that was, I think, I think uh, something that reduced the this depth that we're talking about of saying something, uh, because uh, you know pianists uh, started you know paying more attention to the surface things, mm-hmm. because the critics were paying attention to that. Now, I'm not talking about uh, about uh, Harold Schoenberg or you know there are a number of. Uh, uh, of exceptions who, who, you know, were really wonderful critics, but anyhow, and of course then at, at some point, I can't remember exactly when in the nineties, uh, maybe um, newspapers began to have trouble uh, financially and they had, uh, you know, issues with space. Uh, and so they, they started uh, reducing the amount of uh, coverage of concerts and, and pretty soon it just uh, dried up. And um, I th- that that's another thing, you know, you can, you can, um, you know, regret that or you can say, hey, wait a minute, that's that's a positive. And I think another one is is this ability now to to really create music and a career even directly through the Internet. You don't have to to, to win big competitions and you could make an argument that that um, another topic to get into sometime about competitions and and whether they really select the always best. the you know the best and most promising and most most important talents or not mm, and sure. um, I have my own philosophy about that too but um, yeah. it's helpful well, nonetheless uh, you know so. I hope, yeah. Robert, that, that, that you'll come back on so we can discuss some of these because I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. This has been just a blast for me. Well, thank you. I, I have, too. You you two are wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to go yeah. listen to some of your recorded podcasts because uh, this thank is you. fun. Yeah. This is another thing that's not, you know, that's kind of newish and, yeah. and wonderful. Yeah. Just uh, so, so many great things happening. Yeah, well, we really had a great are. discussion. I really appreciate you coming on, and and uh, it was a lot of fun. Me it too. Was. Well, just, you know, we, we ought to discuss one of these uh, things if you're interested sometime in the future, because there's so many uh, fascinating topics in music. Oh, absolutely. And and what what I'll do is I'll I'll put uh, I'll put links to your book um, in the show description. But but where can people if people want to find out more about you and a and what you're doing, and especially we, with your new old career <laughs> going on, what, how will people find out what, you, what you're up to? Yeah, well, I have a website, uh, which is also uh, tied with the book, and uh, I'm going to be putting more things on it. But uh, the website is simply roberthamiltonpianist.com. Okay, Robert we'll Hamilton. That in the notes too. Robert, wow. Robert Hamilton, pianist. Yeah, all lowercase, uh, no, no, no separation. Uh, dot com, and I, you know, there's some recordings on there from my CDs, 
But, you know, recordings nowadays are everywhere. My students tell, tell me, I guess, it's, you know, I'm on Spotify and Amazon Music, uh, virtually everything I've recorded, except in the early days. So anyway, uh, that's, uh, that's the way you can learn about, uh, about more about me and, uh, and about the, the book that I co-authored. I, 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 it's sad to say that my co-author uh, died before the book came to print, and I regret that. But I also should say about it that uh, it's it's been translated and it's uh, it will be coming out in uh, China soon. I think it's July or August is is the target date. It's been delayed because of the COVID stuff, but uh, anyway. It, uh, it, 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 I, I plan. That's part of my plans uh, for the future. Is uh, I've been doing um, demonstrations around the, uh, this country, and I'll continue doing more of that. Uh, but uh, I hope to go to China, and um, it's the public uh, publisher is the Shanghai Music Publishing House, which is I think the the biggest, most important uh, publisher of music and music books there. And um, I have, yeah, two of my former students are teaching at the Shanghai Conservatory, which is, you know, one of the great conservatories. And they have been kind of leading the the, the connections and, and uh, everything. So, um, well, and, and, like I just, I was just made aware of your book and, and I will definitely be uh, purchasing a copy because I just, I love I just the little bit, the little snippets that I found online um, really intrigued me and really made me excited to, to learn more. Cause I think it's a very underdeveloped topic. Well, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate it. I, I hope it, you know, moves ahead. Uh, I, I think the ideas that we're putting out are, are important ones and and um, you know I, I hope it, it it keeps keeps moving forward you are listening to and if love remains the first of 23 installments requested by dr levitt trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization down.